The title of our message today is The Baptism of the Holy Spirit or Is There a Second Experience in the Holy Spirit? Now, what I mean by that is there are some churches who believe that when you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit and that's the only work of the Holy Spirit that there is. There's no empowering. There's nothing further that happens. There are other churches, and I got to go over here for the other churches. There are other churches who believe that you are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit, but then later on, there's a next experience or a second experience in the Holy Spirit called the filling of the Spirit, the receiving of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the empowering of the Spirit, a lot of different names speaking of the same thing, that the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and at that point, you are empowered to do what God has called you to do. So we want to answer that question today. And this is a controversial topic. Churches make their stands. Whole denominations make their stands. There's no second experience in the Holy Spirit. Um, Pentecostal, charismatic churches make their stand. There is a second experience of the Holy Spirit. Now, we believe that when you are saved and born again, you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus said that if you believe in me, then my Father and I will take up residence inside of you. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit inside of you. The Bible also teaches that you are in Him. As Christians, He is in you and you are in Him. And we have all of the Holy Spirit when we get saved. However, the Bible does make references to an empowering of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take a look at this. Uh, we're, going to we're going to answer that question today. Now, as I said, the Bible clearly says that when we're born again, the, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit, we are all baptized into the body. This means, and you may have heard it said, there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. There's nobody who's just in it by themselves. We are a body and corporately around the world, real genuine Christians are all one body. And we have a local body that we are a part of and we have uh, separate churches within the local body. And that's what you are a part of. And you are baptized by the Spirit into the body. It says, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and we have all been made to drink of one Spirit. So everyone who is born again has the Spirit. So when someone says, we are a Spirit-filled church, by implication you're saying they aren't. We're Spirit-filled, they aren't. The reality is, is that every genuine church is spirit filled, every one of them, no matter what you believe about the gifts of the spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Everyone is spirit filled. There's no such thing as a non spirit filled church. The same thing is true when you say, I'm a spirit filled believer. Well, good for you. Glad you are. So is everybody. Everyone is spirit filled. Now, have you been empowered by the Holy Spirit? Could they not be empowered by the Holy Spirit? That is a possibility. But the truth is, you don't know. You don't know if God's empowered them or not because God does the empowering, as we're going to see, in different ways. God doesn't fall into our model all the time, our modes, what we think needs to be done all of the time, the way we think things should be done. And so we pick it up in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 17. We got to get this first little section out of the way. I'll explain it to you and then we'll move on. It says, but there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery. This is magic, the dark arts. We don't know if he was just good at sleight of hand, like David, if he was the David Blaine of his day or the Chris Angel of his day, or if he really had some kind of demonic activity with him. 
but he practiced sorcery in the city. This is Samaria. And he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man has the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. Now we're going to take Simon and his sorceries and him becoming a Christian, which we're going to read about in a moment. And we're going to put that on a shelf and we're going to wait till next week. Because after the event we talk about today, it is revealed that he is a false convert. And so we're going to talk about false conversions next week. People who claim to be Christians or think they are Christians, but are not. This is a very important topic. And because you have Simon and then you've got the gift of the Holy Spirit in between these two among the Samaritans, I had to figure out, am I going to do Simon first and skip the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Or am I going to do the Holy Spirit first and then put Simon off until the next study? That's what I chose to do. Okay, so put Simon on a shelf. We're coming to him next week. But when they believe Philip, this is the Samaritans. When the Samaritans believe Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. This means the Samaritans had been saved. Now, we've been studying the book of Acts for a while, and we've seen that the, the church has been going along swimmingly, as they say. Thousands of people have gotten saved in Jerusalem, and there's been opposition, but the opposition hasn't stopped the church from growing. And then Stephen is martyred, and Saul, breathing threats of murder against the church, starts to persecute the church, and the church spreads out of Jerusalem. We read this two weeks ago, and goes into the area of Judea, taking the gospel with them, and Philip goes to Samaria. The Samaritans were not Jewish. They were related, but they weren't Jewish. You remember that when Israel got taken captive by the Assyrians, they were divided two nations at the time, the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel. The 10 tribes of Israel had a capital of Samaria. Judah and Benjamin had Jerusalem as their capital. And the Assyrians took Israel and Samaria, but couldn't take Hezekiah with Isaiah. Remember, they'd made their stand and, and, and uh, Sennacherib, the Assyrian, couldn't take it. So that's in the scriptures. But they were able to take Israel. When they took Israel, Samaria was the capital of Israel at the time. They planted Assyrians there. This, was a, this is what they did in their day. They conquered worlds and they planted people from there who they were to take over the country. And the people who were left behind who were Jewish, most of them were drug off into captivity by the Assyrians. The ones who were left behind intermarried the Assyrians and they weren't Assyrians and they weren't Jewish. They were now Jewish and Assyrian and they became known as the Samaritans. So they were related to the Jews because they had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and a few of the kings as their ancestors. But they were not Jewish as in the days of Jesus. They worshiped on Mount Gerizim, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. That's why Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan. Because it was shocking that the good Samaritan would stop when the good Jewish priest and lawyer and Pharisee walked by. But the Samaritan stopped and cared for him. And then he said, whose neighbor was, who was the true neighbor in the whole thing? So that's the Samaritans. Now the Samaritans received the gospel. This is a different people group. Everybody who's gotten saved up to this time has been Jewish. And the Holy Spirit had come upon uh, the Jews in Acts chapter 2. Now Samaria gets saved. People believe. They hear the preaching of, of Philip. Philip does miracles, which are signs that God's moving in the early church. And they receive it and they get saved. And then a few days pass. And then we read in verse 13. Then Simon himself believed, that's the warlock, 
as Pastor Chuck used to call him, the sorcerer. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which he had done. Now, miracles were signs. Miracles and signs. What does a sign do? A sign points you to something that's happening. So when the miracles were done in the early church, they were signs that God was at work in establishing the church and developing the New Testament. That's why miracles were clustered around the New Testament time and Moses and the prophets and Jesus because they were signs to show authority and that God was doing something. So Philip is, is uh, 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 preaching. Uh, Simon is amazed by him, follows him around. Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now the apostles were aware of Samaria firsthand because Jesus preached to a woman at the well in Samaria. And, and, they, and, and after that, he spent two days with them there. And it says many of the Samaritans believed. So Jesus preached there himself. And so when Peter and John heard, they were like, let's go. So they went down to Samaria. And then it says, for they had received the word of God, they sent uh, Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't be born again unless you have the Holy Spirit. We, we read that. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. That doesn't mean an atheist can't parrot Jesus is Lord. It means you can't genuinely say, I'm Christ, I, Jesus is my Lord without the Spirit of God. So this has to be something different. The, they're coming to, to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Then we learn what it is. Verse 16, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Now, Jesus had said to the apostles, wait in Jerusalem and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you. They had already received the Holy Spirit in John 20. Jesus had breathed on them and told them, receive the Holy Spirit. Then they wait in Jerusalem. It's a separate date. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them and empowers them. Now the Samaritans are saved by Philip. A few days later, the apostles come down at a different time and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. And they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Sure, looks like there's a second experience of the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? And so then it says, they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So how was the gift of the Spirit imparted? By laying on of hands. Specifically, by the laying on of the hands of two of the apostles, they received the Holy Spirit. So you say, well, that should settle it. That's the Word of God. That should settle it. There is a second experience of the Holy Spirit. They got saved. Then later on, they had a second experience. That was an empowering, the upon, the receiving. It happened when the apostles laid hands on them. Eh, but not so fast. Because that's not the only account that we've got. This is what we call in theology the Samaritan Pentecost. You have Pentecost where, where the, the church received the Holy Spirit. They were all Jewish. And up to this point, no one's been saved except those who are Jewish. Now Samaritans, and they're related, so Samaritans receive it and they have their own Pentecost. They receive the Holy Spirit. Two chapters later in chapter 10, we have the Gentile Pentecost. We have the first Gentiles to get saved and like when the first Samaritans got saved, they received the Holy Spirit. The first Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll get to the story and we'll cover it. But you remember that Peter sleeping up on the top of the house. Seems like Peter liked to nap. And he had a dream that the sheet of food came down. It was full of unclean food, unkosher food. It had cheeseburgers and pepperoni pizza. 
It had, you know, uh, uh, shrimp pasta on it. Things that he couldn't eat, those are not kosher today. And it came down and God said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, nothing unclean has ever touched these lips. And God said, don't you call unclean what I call clean. This happens three times. When he wakes up from this vision or dream, he hears a knock on the door and he goes down. There's a Gentile there. And the Gentile says, Cornelius, who's a centurion, has sent for me to get you. An angel told him to come get you. And so Peter's like, OK. And so he goes to Cornelius's house and he goes in the house. Now, a good Jewish boy wouldn't go in the house of a Gentile. So when he gets there, he insults Cornelius almost immediately and says, I wouldn't normally come into your house because I'm a good Jewish guy. However, the Holy Spirit told me not to call and clean what is clean. And so I'm here. And he preaches the gospel to them. Now, while he's preaching the gospel to them, this is what happens. This is Acts 10 verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon. Remember, they had, the Holy Spirit had fallen upon none of the Assyrians. The apostles, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, received power to become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now he's preaching the word and the Holy Spirit falls upon all those who heard. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So they were empowered. And Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Now we have two chapters later, the giving of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them in an entirely different way. It happens at salvation. It doesn't happen after salvation is the second experience. And so we can clearly say that there is not a second act of the Holy Spirit, except when we get to the Samaritans, we see that they're saved and then they're given the Holy Spirit. So we can clearly say that there is a second experience of the Holy Spirit. So which is it? It's not an either or. It's a both and. God doesn't do things in a way that we make him do it. And so here we've got all the Pentecostals saying, there's a second experience. Pentecostals, Charismatics, there's a second experience of the Holy Spirit. And you got all the non-Pentecostals saying, there's no second experience of the Holy Spirit. Who's right? Neither of them, both of them. God does things the way God does them. Sometimes God gives the Holy Spirit when someone gets saved and empowers them. Sometimes God waits and gives them the Holy Spirit later. That's my experience. I got saved in the United Methodist Church. And when I got saved, I didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's because the United Methodist Church didn't teach the empowering of the Spirit. Maybe that's as simple as it is. And, but I did get transformed. I started going to church more. I started seeking God. I wanted to know him more. I began to read the Bible. I wanted to know the Bible more. God changed me the moment I was born again. A little while later, we kind of left the Methodist Church. The Methodist Church was a little dry. This one that I went to, okay? I don't know, there may be really just exciting Methodist churches out there, I have no idea. But the church that I was a part of, the teaching was a homily that was about five minutes long. And I fell asleep during the homily. The homily was like, this is the homily. Uh, we had the Sandia Mountains in Albuquerque. So this is the homily. This was one of the homilies. As the stream flows down from the Sandia Mountains into the high plains below, so God's spirit comes down from heaven upon you. <laughs> Another one I remember. 
as the spider came down from the ceiling onto my desk and scampered around and I could have squashed it with my hand, so we scamper in the presence of God and God graciously allows us to live as I allow. <laughs> so we in the youth group started going to a hyper charismatic church. Now this hyper charismatic church was exciting. The guy that was a preacher was about 25 years old and he didn't do homilies. He did messages that lasted like an hour and he paced back and forth and he was exciting when he preached the word of God to you and he talked about what God was going to do and I'm on the front row. Wow, this is something happening here. <laughs> and while I'm at that Pentecostal church, it's the Assembly of God church, somebody says to me, have you ever received the Holy Spirit? And I said, no, I didn't know you could receive the Holy Spirit. And they prayed for me to receive the Holy Spirit and God empowered me at that time. Now, that's my experience. So I'm a little prone because of my experience to go. There is a second experience of the Holy Spirit because I had it. I got saved genuinely and then I received it later on. However, when I go back to the word of God, I see that it happens both ways. So I am now going to follow what the Bible says rather than what I believe. And I'll just be honest with you. This argument between the Pentecostals and the non-Pentecostals is a non sequitur. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. What matters is, are you empowered by God? Now, at our last uh, uh, pastor's conference last March, uh, we did a conference on, on apologetics and we inv invited a scholar by the name of Peter Geary, who's fantastic. He's a New Testament scholar and we had him come out and talk about defending the New Testament. Can you trust the New Testament? And he talked about manuscript evidence and how we can trust the New Testament. Absolutely phenomenal. And during this presentation, he asked the question, who is the greatest ball player of all times, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Who do you think? Amen, brother. Truer words were never spoken, all right? That's what I think of as well. Of course, that comes from my era, right? But, but Michael Jordan or LeBron James. And he did too. He came down on the side of Michael Jordan. That's what he came down on the side of. Now, I don't remember what point he was making, but later on, <laughs> I remember the Michael Jordan thing. But later on, <clears throat> we had a Q&A. And we had Frank Turek and Greg Kokel and David Guzek and my, I was there and Peter Geary was there. Somebody asked a question about the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Now, there are cessationists, this is a theological term, who believe the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. At least the sign gifts are not for today. Tongues, um, interp uh, interpretation, miracles, gifts of healings, a word of prophecy, uh, words of knowledge, uh, discernment sometimes is added into that, that those gifts are not for today. And you can remember cessationist because they believe they ceased. They ceased, so they are cessationist because they believe they ceased. Then there are continuationists who believe that the gifts of the Spirit have continued. So you are either a cessationist or you are a continuationist. So they asked the question about it, and through the course of us answering it, we explain cessationist and continuationism, and we kind of talk about what the differences are and where we fall at, which is different with this group. Some are cessationists and some aren't. So Peter Geary is kind of quiet during it. And so I, when I, I, we kind of get done with it and I go, do you have anything to add? And Peter Geary goes, and we're all, all everybody so far is a continuationist. And Peter Geary goes, um, I'm with LeBron on this one. <laughs> Meaning I'm a cessationist. We were continuationists. And so I asked him, do you believe God does miracles today? He goes, certainly. I said, do you believe God empowers his people today? He said, certainly. 
then we just put things in different categories. Then we're closer than we think. We have two people that take these different theological lines. I'm a continuationist, I'm a cessationist, which are, which are terms we make up, right? They're not in the Bible. They're terms we make up so we can draw our lines and say, I'm different than you. And so, but we, we believe God moves and we believe God empowers. We believe the same thing. We just believe it in different categories. I would say it's the gifts of the spirit. They would say it's the empowering of God, but they what we believe the same thing. This is important to understand. We draw our lines. I believe it's a second experience. I believe it's not. And if you don't believe me on this, go look it up on YouTube. Look up the second experience of the Holy Spirit and you're gonna see videos that defend both sides. I have never, I haven't found anybody who says like I'm saying it doesn't matter. God does it both ways. Why are there people who defend both sides? Because we just saw two chapters later, God didn't even separate them. God did it both ways because God's gonna do what God's gonna do despite what you say. It's a second experience. God's like, oh yeah, boom, there they go. They got both of them. It's only one. Wait a minute, I'm gonna wait to give that guy the Holy Spirit. So why would God do that? Why wouldn't God do it all the same? For God's reasons. Like I said, maybe it's because I was in a church that didn't believe in the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So God waited until I was in church that did. Maybe someone is in a, I've heard of people being in a church that doesn't believe in the empowering, receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I like that term, by the way, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the empowering and the receiving of the Holy Spirit, because everybody has the Holy Spirit, but the empowering, receiving it when they are born again. The important thing is that you believe it, that, that you, are, you need to be empowered or that you can be empowered or you are empowered. That's what's important, not the mechanics of how it happens. Now, let me give you a couple other times that it happened. We have in Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus and meets some disciples that Apollos had led to the Lord. But Paul immediately realizes that something's off. So Paul has a question for them. So in Acts 19, two through six, he says to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He realizes something is off. So he says, did you believe the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you receive it? Now that question itself would tell you that you can receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? It could also tell you that it might not be when you believe. Because did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So Paul's saying there could be either way. So he asked them the question. Now they end up saying, we did not so much as know that there was a Holy Spirit. We only knew about John. So Apollos hadn't had the complete gospel yet. He taught them about John the Baptist making the way for the Messiah, but they hadn't learned about Jesus. So Paul then baptizes them and we pick it up here. It says, we do not so much as have heard of a Holy Spirit. Then it says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So this happens at salvation, but two distinct things. He prays for them, he baptizes them, then he lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. So we see at times you lay hands on someone, they receive the Holy Spirit. And for the Gentiles, they were hearing the word of God, never laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So again, I've heard people get very dogmatic. Well, you receive the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. But what about Acts chapter 10? God, God can give you the Holy Spirit how God wants to give it. Because I come up with my theological idea doesn't mean that God has to stick with it. Then we have the salvation of Paul himself. Paul is, is on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He's hit with a bright light and he's blinded. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And he, then he said, go to Damascus and I'm going to have Ananias pray for you. 
Then, then God says to Ananias, go over and see Paul, Saul of Tarsus, for I have many things for him to do for me. He's going to speak before kings and he's going to suffer many things for me. And Ananias says, I know that guy, I ain't going. And God says, it'll be okay, go. And so here's what happens. This is, we don't know when Paul saved. Was he saved on the road when he was blinded? He gets to Damascus, stays there for three days. So in that three day period, was he saved sometime? Was he saved when Ananias came over? We don't know. So in Acts 9, 17, it says, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus appeared to you on the road as you came and he sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. So what was the order there? We don't know because the order is not important. But what we do find here is Ananias is not an apostle laying hands on Paul and having him receive the Holy Spirit. So, so far we've had apostles, Peter and, and, and uh, John, lay hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. We have Peter preaching when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So there are people who say that the gift of the Holy Spirit has faded away because the apostles aren't around because the Holy Spirit is only given through apostles. However, here, Ananias is not an apostle and he prays for him and he receives the Holy Spirit. So I find, and this is, this is a little discouraging to me, that people will conveniently leave out something when they're making their point. Like I watched a video yesterday where Pentecostal wanted to give his Pentecostal view on the second experience of the Holy Spirit. You know what passage he left out? Acts 10, the Gentile, the one where it falls upon them. He just never brought it up. And when I, when I read about people who believe that the gift of the Spirit is not for today, it was only for the time of the apostles, they leave out Ananias, laying hands on him that he would receive the Holy Spirit. They also leave out when Peter is preaching in Acts 2 and they're going, what's going on here? And he says, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel, that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and to every generation as far as things go. So in Acts 2, we're told that every generation to the end of the age is going to receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's left out when they try to say it was under the age of the apostles. So these are the kind of things that we get stuck in and we just want to stay away from that. We, sometimes we don't need to make stands. We can just go, you know what? The Holy Spirit comes upon people and that's a good thing. Now listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 7. He said, it says, on the, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. But who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow, flow live rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So those who believe are going to receive the Holy Spirit and he's going to flow out of us like rivers of living water. Everywhere you go, when you believe in him, the Holy Spirit goes with you. But not only does it go with you, it flows out of you and into the lives of people around you. This is why your family and friends get so annoyed with you when you're not being annoying. I've had people say to me, I'm tired of you preaching at me. And I'm like, I haven't even started. <laughs> I haven't done anything. I haven't said anything. 
but it's just the presence of a believer with the Holy Spirit with us. This should encourage us that we are not alone, that the Spirit is inside of us and flowing out of us into the lives of people around us and that there is an empowering of the Holy Spirit. And my question to you is, have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit come upon you? Now, I believe in the gifts and I personally believe that the sign gifts are for today. That doesn't mean that you have to. However, you might be afraid. I've had people say, I'm afraid to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit because I might order my McDonald's in tongues. You know, I, I don't want to do it. <laughs> don't got to worry about that. Well, I heard John MacArthur say that somebody heard somebody speaking in tongues and they were, they were cursing God in tongues. So I, I don't want to open myself up to a demon. Seriously? Seriously, John MacArthur, seriously? You think that you're going to say, God, fill me, empower me with your spirit and that God's going to let a demonic spirit come inside of you. You don't have to worry about that. You're going to ask God for a spirit and then a demonic spirit's going to come in. How, how does that work? You don't got to worry about that. I understand the battle between the, the, the non, you know, well, John MacArthur is a Calvinist, the Calvinist and the Pentecostals. I understand the battle between their positions. But Calvinists are true believers and Pentecostals are true believers. And even though we've got differences and somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong, there are differences that are there. We still want all that God wants for us. Now, I realize that's the, that's the old Pentecostal in me. I went to Pentecostal churches for six years. So I got saved in the Methodist church. I ended up in the hyper-charismatic church. I went from there to an Assembly of God church that was much better, but still had weirdnesses. When I met Lisa uh, and we got married, we started going to a four-square church, which is a Pentecostal church. And it was a good church and a good, good teaching. And I was teaching the junior high Sunday school. Lisa was teaching the five-year-old Sunday school. And there was a woman at the church that would go off in tongues every service. At, in between songs, she'd go off. But it wasn't just like speaking in tongues in a normal voice. It was like a cat being tortured. It was like, <laughs> and it was like, the first time you heard it, you thought, what is happening here? Well, I knew very well. First, I'd listened to the Bible through with Pastor Chuck. I had a friend of mine go over 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 in the misuse of spiritual gifts. And I knew they were misusing them. And so I was constantly saying to them, this is not right. Everybody's not supposed to be speaking in tongues at once. The Bible says, don't do it. People are going to think you're crazy. So why are you doing it when the Bible says it? So finally, the youth pastor there, who was a friend of mine, said to me, a Calvary Chapel just came to town. Why don't you go over there? You talk about Chuck Smith all the time. Why don't you go over there? And it was there that I went in. And when I walked in, it was like home to me. You know, I walked in and I heard the music being played and it wasn't a bunch of, it wasn't like the, the Pentecostal churches. I'm, I'm just not being super critical of them. I'm just saying what they do in worship and then kind of worship that's not pretentious is just what I like. And I walked into the worship and went, wow, this is great. And then I, then, then I skip started teaching and I was like soaking it in. It's like the word of God just being taught and just being taught through. But then there was also the teaching of the power of the Holy Spirit. Later on, I, I heard Chuck say, God has raised up Calvary Chapel to be a middle ground between the two extremes. And I think that he's probably right. That we believe in the empowering of the spirit. We believe in the gifts of the spirit, but we don't want all of the nonsense that is unbiblical but we also want all that the Holy Spirit has for us. Even though that's a very Pentecostal thing to say. That's what I said when I was in the Assembly of God Church. I want all that God wants for me. But I'll tell you, I still feel that way. I want everything God wants for me. 
I want God to move in my life in a new and a fresh way. So if you've never received the Holy Spirit, a couple of things. Number one, pray for it. Jesus said, if you being evil, and how's that for insulting you right out of the gates? If you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So have you asked? Number two, have someone lay hands on you and pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit. We have pastors that are up here after the service. If you come to them and say, I'm not sure I received the Holy Spirit, can you pray for me? They'll lay hands on you and they'll pray for you to receive it. I believe God can give it to you without praying, having someone lay hands on you, but he might give it to you through laying hands on you. And when you pray for that, believe it. Because people will also come to me and say, I've asked for the Spirit, but I'm not sure I got it. How do I know if I get it? Well, just believe it. Walk in faith. Trust it. Your emotions are not your spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you may respond emotionally to it. You might not. And if you don't respond emotional, it doesn't mean you didn't get it. If you respond emotional, well, then oh, so be it. But you trust God has empowered me. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a manifestation that's going to reveal it to you eventually. You're going to be talking to someone. Next thing you know, you're firing off scriptures you didn't even know you knew. And you're like, this is good. I should be writing this down. I don't know what's going on here. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. Sometimes when I'm preaching, I feel it. And sometimes when I'm preaching, I don't. Doesn't mean God wasn't moving. Doesn't mean I wasn't filled with the Spirit. Doesn't mean I wasn't empowered. The emotions are not what tell you whether or not you're filled with the Spirit. Sometimes we respond with emotions. Sometimes we don't. So believe it, receive it from God, be empowered by Him, and then go out and begin to do the things God's called you to do. As you begin to work for him, you're going to see the work and the power of the Holy Spirit begin working inside of you. And God is going to give you gifts. There's going to be gifts. There's the gift of teaching, the gift of evangelism, the gift of helps. There's a lot more gifts besides the sign gifts that I mentioned earlier on. All right, now I'm out of time. I got to get to the other campus. So let's stand up and pray. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity that we had to be able to cover your word. We thank you that we can look at the gift of the Holy Spirit today, the empowering, the baptism, the upon experience of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would help us to be able to walk in what we find here, living wholeheartedly for you. And, and Lord, um, fill us with your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.